0: Okay. Hello. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Lynn Kitchens. I'd love to be here with you right now and talk about our study in the tabernacle. What a great study it's been. And we're going to talk about generosity today. So I thought we would do a little test on our generosity level. So wherever you're seeing this lecture, just be ready to raise your hands. Okay. How many of you ate some Halloween candy a week and a half ago? Okay, how many of you ate some Halloween candy that wasn't your candy? (laughs) How many of you ate some Halloween candy in secret? (laughs) Okay, okay. So, our kids always knew that their dad was going to go through their trick-or-treat bag, but he thought it was a secret, and it wasn't. Okay, last question. How many of you bought Halloween candy and shared it with others? Okay, so I think we're good on the generosity level because the giving balanced out the taking. (laughs) You and I have the great joy of serving a God who is generous. It is who he is. He's always giving. He makes our lives rich and full, and we witness his generosity when we witness the life and the death of Jesus Christ. We can also understand his generous spirit when we think of all the wonderful things he's done in our lives. But we can also know he's generous because of how he describes himself. One incredible morning... On Mount Sinai, there is Moses. He stood with two tablets of stone on Mount Sinai. He's going to receive the Ten Commandments for the second time. Remember the first time he came down and saw the golden calf that Israel had made and he threw them down and they broke. So God said, come on back up to the mountain. We're going to get those commands back out. And we read in Exodus 34 that when Moses came, And stood high on the side of a mountain. It tells us God stood next to him. God stood with him. And then Moses heard the very voice of God describing himself. And this is what he said. The Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping the steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And when those words penetrated the heart of Moses, the Bible tells us he bowed down with his face to the earth and he worshiped the Lord. That should be our response as we think about the generosity of God in our lives, as we remember his love that is steadfast, his forgiveness that is strong, his enduring mercies in our life, his faithfulness. I've been thinking about generosity a lot lately. Uh, uh, Many of you know my mom went to be with the Lord about five weeks ago now. And I've wanted to stand up during our praise time and just say um, how your kindness to me and all that and your, your prayers and your cards and your hugs, how much that has meant in my life. I told someone every card that I got, um, every word in it written spoke right to my heart. Nobody wrote a, a sentence or a verse that wasn't so meaningful to me. But I've been thinking about his generosity uh, because I've been thinking how he pursued my mom. How he saved my mom, even when I was an adult and she was getting older. How she learned how to be a woman of prayer and she had faith. And because of God's generous promise for those who are in him, to have eternal life forever. I have no questions. I have no anxiety. I have no despair because I know God went ahead of her, prepared a place for her, and she's there and suffers no more. What a gift from God. What generosity. It has been something that's been an anchor at this time for me. We should be thankful when we meditate on God's generosity. Another reason and another response we should have is that we should want to be generous ourselves. When we consider his generosity. In our story today, we're going to see that God's children had both of these responses. They were grateful to him and they also desired to give as he'd been giving to them. And think about all the tabernacle details we've been studying. Like you guys could write a book about it now. You just got it all down. I know. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, a mercy seat with cherubim, a golden lampstand, a basin, a table for bread, plates, dishes, utensils, bowls, curtains, wood frames, a thick veil, altars, a courtyard, priestly garments, oil, incense, basins, to use gold stones and silver and bronze and linen and wood and fine. F- threads. And all of this had to be transportable. So how would we feel if God's Spirit came in this room, told us these exact same things right now, and said, you build me a place to dwell? What would we do? It'd be terrifying. I think we would be overwhelmed. It would seem an impossible task. And it would be if we didn't serve a generous God. God doesn't call us to a task without equipping us to do it. Moses had to learn that truth. Remember his deep insecurity and fear and his weaknesses when God told him the job that he had for him in delivering delivering his people from Egypt and then leading them in the wilderness for 40 years? Wow. He learned God would equip me. And Israel would learn this truth as well. And that's what we're going to look at today. But meanwhile, high on a mountain, Moses is still receiving God's building plans. So let's go to chapter 31, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, he have called by name Bezalel. Okay, I told uh, the teachers this morning that I went to Doug Cecil and said, how do you say this name? So... I didn't know you could do this. You can type a name in the computer and it would speak it back to us. Who knew? So that's how I heard the computer say it. Bazzalo, the son of Uri, son of... Hut of the tribe of Judah and I have filled him with the spirit of God with ability and intelligence knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft behold I've appointed with him Oholiab the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan and I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's on it. All the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Okay, so God not only gave the tabernacle pattern, but he designated men who would bring that building to fruition uh, and to direct the work. And I was thinking, you can imagine what the chaos would be if God just presented all these instructions and details, but then didn't really give them a way to accomplish the building of it. So think if there was no one in charge of that, and he just said all this out. I wrote down some conversations I thought you might hear around the camp. Something like this. You make the curtain for the Holy of Holies. You know, I'm redecorating my tent right now. <laughs> Let's all cut down some acacia trees. No, I like the shade. Let me design the cherubs in the curtains. You don't sew. I've been waiting and waiting for Joe to finish the Ark of the Covenant before I can even think about starting on the mercy seat. (laughs) How about this? Did you put the Ten Commandments in the Ark? I thought you did. (laughs) (laughs) I want my son to build the altar of the burnt offering. My son has a degree in altars. I think I'll only work a half day today. I've got lots of manna I need to gather. (laughs) That could go on and on and on, and that tabernacle would have never been built. Fortunately, God not only had a blueprint, he had a way to make that blueprint come to life. So he called two men... To manage and oversee these plans, we just read Bezalel and Aholiab. Bezalel was chosen to have overall charge of the building, and Aholiab was going to assist him in that construction. Now, when God was telling Moses their names high up on Mount Sinai, those two men would have been totally ignorant to the fact of this huge monumental task God had planned for them. Because God called them, he would prepare them for the job. And here's some ways he would have done that. Probably when they were just little boys in Egypt. God put within their hearts this kind of desire for creating. This interest in artistic things. And they probably watched other artists in Egypt and learned some of their craft. I think... um, As they grew, we can assume that they began to use these gifts God had put within them. And we know this because later Moses calls them craftsmen, meaning they already had many skills. I think it was very possible that these men would have been called to be used in building Egyptian temples while they were there and adorning those. They would have known stone crafting, wood crafting. Uh, They would have maybe even adorned the priests of Egypt in their clothing and their crowns. So, as Bezalel and Aholiab were walking away from Israel uh, when they were being delivered um, out of Egypt and going with the Israelites and going into the desert away from this land of slavery, they would have been carrying. God's given skills with them and I'm guessing probably a lot of tools of their own that they'd been using so their faithfulness and just using the gifts that God had given them would be multiplied by his spirit in the desert for work that they could not imagine God multiplying it this is what he did for Moses he was once a shepherd He was a faithful shepherd for his father-in-law's sheep, and then he would find it so multiplied that he was the shepherd of thousands upon thousands of people, the 12 tribes of Israel. Since Bezala was clearly designated the supreme director of this building, God's Spirit gifted him with ability, intelligence, Knowledge and craftsmanship. All he had to do was to yield obediently to the purposes and the plans of God and his empowering touch. And he would need to surrender all his own personal ambitions and personal claims. And he would receive grace upon grace. Filled with the spirit of God himself for the mighty work of leading the construction of these incredible plans of God and directing other craftsmen as they would build the tabernacle with him. Here's one of the ways he accomplished that. Um, Look at chapter 35, verse 34. And God has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He's filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So you can tell by these verses... Uh, Bezalel and Aholiab were not going to be about their own glory. Because it tells us in 34, they took the time to teach the skills that God had developed in their hearts and in their hands and in their minds so that many men and women could serve God well. If they'd been prideful to the work God called them to do and they didn't do this, if they'd refused to teach their skill to others, do you think the tabernacle ever would have been done? Maybe they, when they were like 500 years old. You know, years and years and years if it ever did get accomplished. And nobody else would have shared the joy and shared the ability to use their gifts that God had given them or the work of the Spirit in their hearts. We read that a Aholiab was appointed to be with Bezalel in chapter 31 he was to be his faithful right-hand man also skilled by God and we learn more about him in Exodus 38 23 it's on your verse sheet and with him was Oholiab the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan he's an engraver and a designer and an embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen so he was in the textile fabrics. That's what he was involved in. Woven things, embroidered things. His eye would have been drawn to gifts of beauty and color. And here's something else that we can learn about these men when we look at these verses. We won't be able to find any record of rivalry between these two men. I think, I think that's incredible. Together they worked for the glory of God. Together, they trained other craftsmen and led them, that God had generously skilled. The Bible tells us, able men with multiplied ability. The New American Standard, I love how they say this, in the hearts of all who are skillful, God says, I have put skill. In all the hearts of those who are skillful, I have put skill. And this included women, many women. God's always used women for his important work. And he did in the tabernacle. The skill God gave them became mighty in his powerful hands. So all willing workers would be touched by God's divine help to build the sanctuary. In fact, look at what Moses would tell the people later. Look at chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him came up to do the work. So we see in the second verse, it's just not enough to be gifted by God, is it? We have to decide to use the gifts we've been given by God. Our hearts have to be stirred, which is the first truth we realize when we look at God's calling for us. Just as Bazzalo couldn't build this tabernacle alone, Jesus Christ desires the cooperation of everyone who's been redeemed. To build his church, and he's given us specific gifts for us to accomplish that very purpose. When he unrolled his blueprint for the church, our names are on it. He had a job for us to do. So, what that means is we have to take our personal blueprint that we've created for our own life and roll it up and throw it in the fire or something. I have to do that almost every day, or all of a sudden I notice the desk on my heart has my blueprint slowly (laughs) unrolling on top of God's blueprint for my life. We have to decide, what is it God wants me to do? Am I letting him stir my heart? Am I willing to let his spirit work in me? I have his spirit, but am I willing to let him have his way in my life? We also should not envy the gifts of others or be prideful. There should be no rivalry. Rivalry. Together we build the church as they built the tabernacle. I thought about, think about envisioning that tabernacle on a desert ground, in the sand, and how it would rise and come up and be something of beauty. And that's our job for the church. That when we build it, through the power of God's spirit, and we do it in his way, and we give of ourselves, and we toss away our own blueprint, the church becomes this oasis for the world, really. Something beautiful that points to the beauty of God that rises up in a dark world. We're called to build the kingdom of God in a world lost in the wilderness. You know, do you hear this often from people? And I've heard this a lot. um, I don't need the church to walk with God. I don't need the church to love God. And, And here's what they need to know. That may be very true, but they've lost sight of the fact that the church needs them. That's how it works. The church needs them. We need each other. That's his design for his followers. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love when we use our gifts in the church we'll find our willingness partners with God multiplying the use of that gift and the skill of that gift just like he did for Israel in our church we need to be using our gifts in our home in our community on the mission field and when God's spirit is part of our service Our God-given talents are multiplied and become heavenly deposits. We can use those gifts according to our own blueprint, but they won't become heavenly deposits. They won't build the church. That's what God needs us to do is to surrender to his plan. It's not enough to have the spirit. The spirit must have us. If you're a mother, God can multiply your mothering abilities, when you surrender to his blueprint. Are you a writer, an artist? Are you full of mercy? Do you like to give? Do you like to be hospitable? When you do all that in God's spirit, you will be shocked what all he can do with it for his kingdom. When we offer ourselves to the spirit, our abilities grow and create a beautiful tabernacle for God's glory. I read about Gordon McDonald. A lot of you have heard of him. He's an author and he was a pastor. And he talked about when he was young in school and his um, he ran track and his coach invited him to his house for dinner. And he was like, wow, I get to go to my coach's house for dinner and they're eating dinner. And at the end of dinner, the coach sets down a book on the table and it's got Gordon's name on the cover of it. And he said, well, let's see Gordon. And he ran through it and he said, um... These are the races are going to schedule for you to run about four years from now. So here's the times you're going to achieve in those four years. And Gordon, he looked down in the book and he said, Oh my gosh, I don't run anywhere near that. I can't do that. He says this, The coach began turning back the pages of that book page by page showing the 42 months he'd scheduled for workouts. These were the graduated, accelerated plans for my increasing skill on the track as the month and years would go by. He had a sense of direction and development when it came to my athletic growth, and I thought, that's what God does. He's our divine coach. He already knows what's possible for us later on if we obey and surrender and yield to his work at this point. He's got a plan to increase and multiply our gifts and skills to this place when we choose to walk with him. So when we face the most difficult tasks, we can do it through the generous power of God within us. You know, I like to look back at Moses again and again. Just look at him. Look at the job God gave him. All the people he was leading. And then look at the tabernacle looming over Bezalel and Oholiab, and what could be more difficult than those tasks but if God calls us to something he holds our hands when we choose to obey him so God chose those men to be a part of his plan and by doing that he gave them desires He prepared them. He gifted them. Then he multiplied their abilities with his spirit, giving them wisdom and skill. They only had to yield themselves to God's blueprint and spirit. That's our job today in the church. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So how else do we respond to God's calling in our lives? we got to become more generous. That's our job. Um, when we consider Israel's response to God's calling, we're going to realize that generosity results from a heart that's driven by a holy purpose and driven by gratefulness. Have you thought about this? Why didn't God just build the tabernacle himself? Why Why didn't he? Wouldn't it have been a lot more beautiful even than what they built? I mean, more beautiful than anything we could have ever imagined. He could have lifted it up out of the desert sands and there it would be. But he had a better plan in mind, one that would bless Israel. He desired to allow Israel to share in his eternal purposes. Wow. He would let them cooperate with him in fulfilling this design. And the result would be a more mature and a more generous people because they were a part of his purpose. Without godly purpose in our lives, we are certainly selfish people. All I had to do was go back and think about my life before I knew the Lord, and I could tell you I was selfish. I still am, but God's working on me. We all just look back and think, yeah, look at the direction of my life before I knew the Lord. It was just all about me. You know, we can even look back at Israel's earlier responses to God to see that same thing. Remember when they first were delivered, hadn't been there very long, and then Moses was on the mountain for so long that the Israelites were like, we're tired of that guy. Who is that guy? We don't even remember that guy. What do we want? Hmm. We want to make our own God who led us out of Egypt. And that is the birth of of the golden calf. It did not spring up out of the sands. It was made with hearts and hands that were selfish and wanted their needs met. Moses was with God, receiving the law and instructions about the tabernacle, and they were dancing around an idol that they made, a golden calf. So later Moses had to intercede for Israel's sins On Mount Sinai, and God in His graciousness listened to Moses and continued to dwell and lead these people. So I want us to look now as Moses is coming down from the mountain. He's going to let the people know at this point what God wants. He's going to let them know about the plans of the tabernacle, and He's going to let them know you get to be a part of it. You're going to be a part. Look at Exodus 35. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing the Lord's commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever's of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light." Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Okay, so here's the people. Moses is probably standing on some kind of pinnacle of a rock so everybody can come around and, and listen to what God has told him. And he shares item by item in the next verses, which we already know, item by item and detail by detail the materials that God will need. And then he tells them, God, wants us to partner with you. God wants you to be a part of it because he wants to reside with you and so you contribute to the needs of the tabernacle. So the accomplishment of the tabernacle depended on their willing generosity. But why in the world would they want to choose to be generous? Why would they want to give away great Aunt Sylvie's golden ring on their finger? Because they had a purpose. Purpose would drive them forward. No longer were their purposes selfish, just totally selfish. God had a plan and a purpose, and it moved their hearts irresistibly. Think about their life in Egypt. Their life with God was nothing like their life in Egypt. Those were cities they built under forced labor. Under the whip of a taskmaster, their blood and their tears built the canals and the buildings and the walls for another people. Israel had no ownership, they had no choice. They were simply slaves of a cruel people. So their hearts stood against Egypt, and their hearts stood against the work they had to do. They did it resentfully. But here, God was simply asking them, if your heart's generous, contribute to this place where I will dwell. There was nothing forced. There was no whips. There were no more beatings. Just a generous God inviting his people to be generous like him. Moses told the people what God needed. Then he left it up to the Spirit of God, to impress upon their hearts to give. And that's why it was called a free will offering. Did not come out of obligation, did not come out of compulsion, but willingly from the heart. That's what God desires. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So now Israel had a holy purpose and this was it. The presence of God dwelling with us. What could be a better purpose? When they traveled step by step over the hot sands in the day, day after day, God would be their provider. When they traversed the rocks and the pinnacles and the peaks and the desert dangers, God would be their strength. When they climbed a hill and they looked out and there was an army of their enemies coming toward them, God would be their great fortress. Now they had a reason to live generous lives. And there would be an abundance of opportunity to do just that. Those who had costly heirlooms could give of their treasures. Those who had no treasures could go out, cut down a tree, and bring in some acacia wood. The very poor people could use the skills of their hands. Women could spin the flax out of angora goat hair to help build uh, the hangings and curtains for the glory of God's house. Did you notice, though, in what I just read, Moses didn't tell the people the exact pattern of the tabernacle, all those cubits things we've been studying. (laughs) He didn't tell them that. He had a reason for that. He wanted their giving to be unconditional. All he wanted to do was tell them, here's what I need. Let's see who will give. He didn't attach anything else to it. God would use Bezalel and Oholiab to oversee the construction. And later on, they would be able to tell these details to the workers. So Moses let the people go. No pleading, no manipulation. And an aggressive salesman would have said, whoa, you lost your moment there. Letting those people go right now, why didn't you keep them? That was a big mistake. You should have worked them up a little while they're here. Get them, play on their emotions. Make them feel guilty. Get some competition going among them. You know, I I went to buy a treadmill a few years ago. And I was just wanting this little itty bitty one. And this guy, I found one in his store, and he began doing this to me. You'll never find another one. They don't make them anymore. This is your last chance. Last one I have. So I went home, Googled it, found it for half the price, and ordered it online. (laughs) Moses was trusting God. God will move their hearts. God will do it. And so it seems like the people departed quietly and thoughtfully, and they're walking toward their tents, and God would be growing within them another catalyst for generosity. They already had the purpose. They needed to have grateful hearts. If they didn't understand all the kindness God had been showing them, I don't think they would have given. But I think they walked into their tents, they pulled back the flap. And as they were inside their little homes, God began reminding them of his faithful love. And I think they might have thought about their deliverance out of Egypt. And maybe they heard the rattle of Pharaoh's chariots chasing them, which is exactly what had happened to them. Maybe they felt that mud again around their feet as they were running through the Red Sea. Maybe they heard, again, the terrific roar of the waters like a wall around them. And then they remembered what it felt like to be on firm ground. Maybe they remembered Miriam's song that she sang to them, Sing to the Lord, he's triumphed gloriously. Or maybe while they were in their tents, they looked along the sides of their tents and they saw baskets and they were full of the provisions of God. Quail and manna and water. Maybe they were thinking about, you know, every day he guides us either with the pillar of fire or with the cloud. Maybe they thought about the great battle God had already won for them earlier against the Amalekites. And remembering all this, maybe they understood that their desert march had been covered in the generous mercies and goodness and provision of God. And they thought, God is not a taskmaster. That's all we've had in the past. This is a loving king. This is a loving father who desires the best for us. He doesn't want to enslave us. And when they looked up to thank God, their hearts would have been opened and they would have become a people who wanted to give to God. Look at 35 verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and then they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings, signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with their hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goats here. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplates, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. I love how this passage opens. People went to their homes, and then they came. And out of their tents, we would see women carrying fabrics and embroidery. And we'd see men hauling a log of acacia wood. And we'd see children with some of the jewelry. And they'd all be coming out. And their arms would be full. And they'd be talking. And they'd be excited to give to their giving God. And they'd be sharing it. I thought it would sort of be like a walking show-and-tell. So happy for each other while they walked around contributing with full hands and a full heart. God not only opened their hearts, he opened their treasure chest. They were giving away the things they took from Egypt. They were donating the items that they would have gotten from people passing by in the desert, passing caravans they used to trade to get things from them. They also gave from the spoils. From uh, when they defeated the Amalekites, they would have had their spoils. So here they would come, all sorts of colors, textures, smells, everything laying in generous heaps on the sands of the wilderness. And beautiful. You know, heaps of generosity are beautiful things. Look at verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. How eager were they? Let's look at verse two in chapter 36. Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to the work. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded for us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people restrained, were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Isn't that awesome? I love this. I love to see these wonderful highlights in Israel's life. I read a quote. One man said this. When will the earth again hear the glad announcement that the people brought much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make? Until we are kindled by the Spirit which will make us Desire to do so, we shall never bring enough. So here's some takeaways for us when we look at the Israelis' generosity. I want to start with this to say: first, some of us may think the calling from God to build his kingdom doesn't apply to us because somehow we feel we've been disqualified. That our past sins somehow make us a person who's just going to always stay in a corner and watch other people do the work because people don't realize my sins from the past. And here's what I want to say. Remember those excited, generous hands of the Israelites that brought their gifts to God were the same hands that were so eager to bring their gold to create a golden calf They weren't disqualified. God still used them. God forgave them. The golden calf couldn't alter God's purpose to dwell with them. And we can rest in the truth that our sins can't alter God's purpose to dwell with us. In our hearts. Once we've received God's forgiveness for our sins through Christ, he makes his home in our heart. He changes our lives forever. We have a calling. We're called to be that temple. Our heart is a temple for the living God, and we are to fulfill his purposes. These were the very words spoken to Israel. They're quoted by Paul to the church. Look at 2 Corinthians 6. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he's talking about us. We are the builders like Israel. We build the reality of the living God in a dark world. And once we recognize he wants us to be his co worker and his presence ever with us, we'll be motivated to be generous. With our time, our finances, our talents. Look at Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the blueprint from God. It means we live our lives according to him. Our lives are not our own. We hold hands with the great builder and we do life his way. 1 Corinthians 3. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I do believe that unrolling God's blueprint in our lives takes us on a journey of generosity because we're sharing in the eternal purposes of God. You know, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that our lives are about giving and not taking? Jesus told his followers, it's better to give than to receive. So I wrote a little poem about it. And if Jesus said it, it must be true. And if Jesus did it, I must do it too. That's God's blueprint. So like Israel's contributions, that's what ours should be like. We should be heaping contributions of generosity that blesses someone's life here, blesses the church there, helps this person here, and we leave these beautiful little piles of generosity wherever we go. How do we maintain a generous spirit? We go back to the tent. We lift up our flap. We go inside. We meditate on the generosity of God. Colossians 2 tells us this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So who once enslaved you? What evil enemies pursued you? What rough seas terrified you? How did God deliver you from your hurts and your disappointments? How did it feel to find yourself standing on solid ground with God at your side? Remember those things. Then we come out of our tents with full hearts and full hands. Remember that a grateful heart is a giving heart. A grateful heart is a giving heart. And God blesses the giving heart. Look at these last two verses. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in love. Oh, we just read that one. Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. I wanted to close with a quote by John Wesley that I thought was so great. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the goodness in our lives from your generosity. May you equip us and motivate us and remind us this is who we are as your children. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.